Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? I don't know about you, but He's done a lot for me. Amen. And all that He's done for me is worthy of praise, and all that He's done for you is worthy of praise as well. Amen. It's good to be in God's house tonight. The sound might be a little bit different because I got me on a new mic. I overworked the other one, so they've given me a new mic this evening. I pray that you can hear. Is the sound good to everybody? Hear me all wet? Okay, amen. I don't really have a, uh, you know, we've come off of a, of a recent series, and last week I brought you a specific word, and I don't really have a title for my message tonight, uh, but I am going to call it a lesson in faith. It's not going to be my normal single theme sermon that I normally do, but more of a study on Matthew chapter 14, particularly verses 13 through 33. And it's where almost every verse teaches us a different lesson, and that's really what I hope to do this week and maybe next week, and as long as it takes to get through this, I just want to teach us some things, amen? It's one of the reasons why this stool here doesn't mean I'm going to sit in it, but I might. Because one of the things I really want to start doing is a little bit more discipleship. I want to really just start teaching us some things. And if that means doing like verse-by-verse studies, that's what I'm going to get to. And this seat might help me do that. We'll see. Uh, I'm not sure how far we're going to get tonight. I don't know if I'm going to do one verse or ten verses. Uh, but I'm just going to go uh, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the things that He's put on, on, on me. I really, as I've looked at this, it's like every verse... I can preach a sermon on. I don't know if I'm going to do that, but I know I'm going to at least get through a couple verses this evening. But before we actually get to these verses, one more time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Ask Him to be a part of everything that we do. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, that You're in this house this evening. We thank You for all the great things that You've done for us, God. But the greatest thing of all is how you brought us out of darkness into your glorious light. How you took us out of the miry clay and you put us on the rock eternal. I thank you, Father, for the great thing you did in dying for us and while we were yet sinners. So I thank you for new life. And I just pray that you'd be with us tonight, God, that you would be high and lifted up, that you would be glorified, that you would anoint me as you always do, God. I cannot do this on my own, and if I could, I wouldn't want to. Because I need the power of your Holy Spirit and the anointing of your Spirit as well. And your people need your anointing also. That they might have ears to hear and hearts that are willing to receive. Teach us something tonight, I pray. Truths that will last, Father God, and go with us through life's journey. I just thank you for your love, your mercy, the opportunity to be here tonight. And thank you for those that are here as well. Bless us, Father God, as we bless you. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. It's Matthew chapter 14, verses 13. I didn't want to read all of it, so I'm really going to focus on verses 13 through 33. I'm going to read all of that, and then we'll go back to the beginning uh, for our study tonight. But it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go back to their villages and buy some food for themselves. 
Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. How shall we feed them with that? Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke it and ate and were satisfied. Oh, no, broke it, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those that ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and the children, meaning it could have been up to 15,000 people that were in that place. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, and this is the most popular part of this passage. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. How many of you know he truly is the Son of God? Amen. How many of you know there's nothing too difficult for him? There's nothing too difficult for him back then 2,000 years ago, and there's nothing too difficult for him today. So I want to just encourage you that, Matt, no matter where you might find yourself, whatever circumstance or situation you might find yourself in, I want you to know that we serve a God to whom nothing is too difficult. He has power over storms. He has power over wind. He has power over all sorts of trials and tribulations that we might face. And all we have to do is have faith in him. Amen. And that's really why I'm titling this whole series, you might want to call it a lesson, a lesson in faith. Because Jesus in this whole passage of Scripture is teaching us what faith is all about. And we'll look at it as we go. But the the real heart of what I want to look at is, is really starts around verse 22. And I'm not going to get there until next week. But like I said, I believe this entire chapter has several lessons that we can learn. So the very first question I have for us tonight is, who's ready to learn? Amen? Because we can always learn something from God. We can always learn something from His Scripture. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to verse 13, where it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, He withdrew to a solitary place. 
And if you look at the previous verses, you discover that what Jesus heard was the news about the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one, if you don't know, who baptized Jesus in the water. He was the one who announced the coming of Christ. He was the one who said, Behold the precious Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He was the one who was crying out in the wilderness, the Bible says. And John, according to Scripture, was Jesus' friend. He was Jesus' forerunner. And if you don't know it, he was Jesus' cousin as well. And just as any of us would be, Jesus was saddened by the news of his friend's death. His heart here in this passage was grieved and it was broken because of the execution of John. John was executed. He was beheaded because of preaching the gospel. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, upon hearing the news, this is in verse 13, he pressed away from the crowds to try and be alone and wanted to find a place of prayer. Which takes me to our very first lesson, which is this. When we receive bad news, when we receive troubling news of any kind, when we receive any kind of news that troubles us and any kind of news that saddens us, we should press away and pray. Amen? It's the very first lesson that Jesus teaches us is that when sadness comes into our life, what we need to do is press away and pray. What we need to do is find a prayer closet and try to get alone with the Father so that we connect with Him and so that He can bear our burden, church. What we understand or what we need to learn from this is that when we watch the news, because any time you turn on the news, it's not good news anymore, amen? It's bad news. And so when we hear news, the nightly news, uh, when we hear news about rioting, Uh, When we hear news about murders, when we hear about protests gone awry, we need to learn to press away and pray. Amen, church? When we hear news about uh, a a, a police officer killing a protester or a protester killing a police officer, what we need to do is not get all up in arms. We need to press away and pray. We don't need more uh, protesters out in the street. And listen to me, I'm not telling you that we shouldn't protest. What I am telling you is that when we hear news of these things, and when we hear bad news of this magnitude, we don't need to just go out on the street and protest. We need to find a place and pray. We need to press away and pray because the reality is, listen, church, protesting is one thing. Protesting has some power, but there is nothing more powerful than prayer. Protesting has the power to move men, but prayer has the power to move heaven. Prayer has the power to move God. Prayer has the power to do things that protesting can't. I'm not saying we can't go out and protest, but what I am saying is that God expects us to pray. Amen? Because prayer has power. And my point is simply this. When we hear troubling news, we have to be burdened enough to press away and pray. We can't just say, oh, well, that's the state of of society and that's just the state of the world and that's just the way things are and things are just going to get worse and things aren't going to get better. Listen, that's not what God's called us to do. He's encouraged us to press away and pray. Amen? Because prayer has infinitely more power than anything else. What verse 13 teaches us is that in times of great sorrow, 
like Jesus was feeling in times of great grief, like Jesus was feeling from the murder of his cousin John, we need to find a place of prayer. Amen? Because this world has a way of grieving us. This world has a way of burdening us. This world has a way of breaking our heart and saddening us. And what we need to do, church, we can't just sit around and and whine and we can't just sit around and cry over the hurts and the heartaches of life. We need to learn to press away and pray. Amen? Because that is where our burdens are, are borne by Christ and by God. And it's where we find rest for our soul. We need to find a place of prayer. What verse 13 is teaching us is that sometimes we need to press away from the crowds and press away from the chaos and press away from the confusion just to get alone with God. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know I can't make it through the day and I can't make it through the week without finding time with God, without pressing away from all of the burdens and all of the cares and all of the concerns of the day or the week. We have to press away and get alone with God. This verse is teaching us that we need to be able to open up and expose our soul to the Father and allow Him to bear our burdens and allow Him to heal our wounds and allow Him to heal our hurts, church. We can't go through life being all proudful that, oh, I can bear this all on my own. I'm not going to tell God about it. I'm not going to talk to God about it. I'm not going to talk to anyone else about it. I'm going to bear it all by myself and think I'm all more spiritual because I'm bearing it all on my own. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, church. He said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Why would God say that? It's because he understands that you you cannot bear these kind of burdens all on your own. If Jesus couldn't bear them on his own, how much do we think we can bear them on our own? Jesus knew. Remember, Jesus was God, but he was man at the same time. And in his humanity, he understood that he needed the strength of his Father. He understood that through life's difficulties and through all of life's hurts and pains, he needed to press away and get with the Father. So my point is tonight, if you've got burdens in your life, If you've got heartache and headache in your life, if you've got heaviness in your life, you need to go to the Father. You need to learn to open up your soul. That's what Jesus did every time He went to the Father. He opened up His soul and He let the Father know what His need was. Jesus did that. And we have to learn to do the same exact thing. Amen? Because the reality is God wants to heal your hurts. And God wants to heal your wounds. And God wants to bear your burdens. And God wants to take that brokenness and make it whole, church. This world has a way of breaking you. But I'm thankful that I have a father that knows how to put me back together. Amen. He knows how to put back a marriage and he knows how to put back a family and he knows how to put back together the finances that might be failing. He knows how to put back a broken mind and he knows how to put back a broken heart. But he can only do that if we're willing to press away and pray. And that's what's at the foundation of all of this. This is what's at the beginning of faith. If you don't learn to... You can't pray properly or you can't have the proper faith unless you have the proper prayer life. And unless you're properly connecting with the Father, and we'll get to that later as we go. But what this passage is teaching us, or verse 13 is teaching us, is that when our hearts are hurting, 
when they're broken, when they're bruised, when they're overwhelmed by the circumstances or situations of life, we have to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. How many of you know God cares for you? The devil's going to tell you that, the God, that God doesn't care. The devil's going to tell you that he doesn't love you, that you went too far, that you messed up, and that's why you're hurting. But I want you to know tonight that it doesn't matter how far you go or how hard you fall, God cares about you and God wants to put you back together. Amen? Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. We shouldn't carry them alone because the weight of this world's burdens, church, they will break us. I don't know about you, but I've been in that place where you try to bear burdens all on your own and they have the power to break you. They can break your spirit and they can break your joy. They can break your strength. They they have the power to break you. And that's exactly why Jesus said, cast your cares on me. Or God said, cast your cares or your burdens on me because I care for you. The truth is we cannot and we will not survive spiritually. We will not survive emotionally. We will not even survive mentally, church, if we fail to go to the Lord in prayer when our life is filled with heartache and our life is filled with hurt and our life is filled with burdens. Listen, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but I know far too many people who when devastation comes into their life, they get mad at God and they try to bear all of those burdens on their own instead of casting their cares on God. They hold on to those cares and they hold on to those burdens and they hold on to those hurts. And what ends up happening? They break. Their life falls apart and they break under the weight of those burdens, church, because we were not designed or created to bear those burdens all on our own. This is why Jesus said, cast them on me. It's why God, or God said, cast them on me. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are wearied by the burdens and heavy laden by the burdens, and I will give you rest. We cannot survive on our own church. We must cast them on God. We must cast our cares on Him or else our cares will consume us, church. You've been there. I've been there. I'm just speaking from my own experience. The cares of this world, unless cast on Christ, will consume us. They'll consume our peace. They'll consume our joy. Find someone in the house of God that has no joy, and it's because they have been consumed by the problems and the cares of life. Find someone in the house of God that calls themselves a Christian that has no peace, and most often than not, it's because they've been consumed by the cares of this world. They've been consumed by the hurts and the heartache and the headache and the happenings of life that we cannot avoid, church, by the hurts of the enemy and the the hurts of even those around us. We cannot survive without finding that place of prayer where we can cast our cares on Christ or on God. Amen? They They will consume us. They'll consume our worship. They'll consume our praise. They'll consume our thanksgiving. Again, look at the house of God and individuals that come in who can't lift a hand in worship. And they can't lift a hand in praise. And you don't hear any thanksgiving coming out of their mouth. Why is that? It's because they've been consumed by hurt. 
It's because they've been consumed by the cares of this world. They come into the house of God and their thoughts are consumed. So they can't even think about what the pastor's preaching. They can't even think about lifting their hand. And they can't even think about the goodness of God because they've been so consumed by the cares of this world. And it's exactly why Jesus or God said, cast your cares on me because they will consume us. They'll consume your time. They'll consume your energy. I've been there. You get to the end of a trying week where you try to do it all on your own and you think, good God, where'd all my energy go? It went right along with with the, the cares and the problems that I'm trying to take care of myself. Listen, if you need to be revived and you need to be restored and you need energy and you need strength and you need joy and you need peace, you'll only find it if you press away and pray. You'll only find it in this place where you can reconnect with the Father. Amen? So once again, just a little bit of a foundation. We, we look at verse, verse, verse 13 and it tells us that Jesus tried to get away. There's multiple meanings from some of these. One, I just told you we need to get away to pray because of the burdens and the heaviness. But here, here it tells us that Jesus tried to get away. And I wonder if anyone's ever been there, church, just wanting to get away. Wanting to get alone, wanting to find some peace and quiet, just wanting to gather your thoughts and get alone with God. I think we've all been there. If I could just get away, get some peace, get my thoughts together, then I'll be okay, church. Well, that's one of the reasons why we need to get away, so we can get our thoughts, so we can gather our minds, so we can find some rest for our soul, church. But we've all found ourselves in that place where we want to get away from the crowds, Want to get away from the confusion and get away from the chaos where we want to get away from the ones that always seem to want something from you or need something from you, church. We have to find time to get away from those who have nothing to offer you, nothing to sow into you, nothing to give you. Look, we're all surrounded by people like that in our life. You know people like that? I'm not condemning people like that because I'm going to talk about that in a second. But every one of us are surrounded by people that have nothing to offer us. They have nothing to sow into us. They have nothing to give us. They have nothing that refreshes us and nothing sharpens us. And if you're surrounded by individuals like that, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's coworkers, but all of us have people like that surrounding us who have nothing to offer us. And we're always pouring into them, always investing in them, always sacrificing for them, always there for them, church. And if you have people like that in your life, like Jesus had in his life, you more than any time need to find some quiet times and time to get away. You've got to get away from those crowds sometimes. You've got to get away from the chaos sometimes. Sometimes you might have to tell someone, I'm sorry, I don't have, I, I can't minister to you right now. You've got to get away. You've got to find time to get away, for, get away with God and get away with God, church. Like I said, I'm not condemning those people that have needs. I'm not ridiculing them. I'm simply making a point that the house of God is filled with people who are like that. They're in a place of spiritual immaturity. They're in a place of neediness, church. And you're always pouring into these people instead of them pouring into you. And like I said, if you have people like that in your life, you need to be able to get away. It's exactly what Jesus did. 
It's exactly what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to get away and trying to get alone with God. It's not that he didn't care about the people, because we're going to learn in some other verses that he definitely cared about people. Amen? Jesus cared more about others than he cared about himself. Amen? While we were still sinners, he died for us. Amen? He laid down his life for a friend. So don't ever think, God doesn't care. That's hypocrisy. God doesn't care. He died for you. He died for me. God gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him would have everlasting life. Don't ever say God doesn't care for me because He demonstrated His love towards us 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. And if He never did anything more, He's done enough to demonstrate His love. Amen. But this is what he's trying to teach us. Jesus needed to get away so he could hear from his Father. He needed to get away so he could get direction from his Father. I've said it a thousand times and you already know it. Jesus never did anything lest his Father told him. He never went anywhere unless his Father told him to. He never said anything unless his Father told him to say it. Well, where did he discover what God wanted him to do? Where did he hear the voice of the Father? It was when he got alone to pray. It's when he found that prayer closet. That's where he heard from the Father. That's where he got direction from the Father. That's where he got the leading uh, from his Father. If you want to find divine direction, you better find a place of prayer. If you want to hear from the Father, you better find a place of prayer. If you need revelation from the Father, you better find a place of prayer. This is why Jesus always wanted to press away, because he needed to hear from the Father. He needed to be renewed by the Father, needed to be directed by the Father. And the reality is we have to do the same exact thing, because you cannot minister in the Spirit unless you've been poured into by the Spirit. You see, we're supposed to walk by spirit. We're supposed to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. Amen. But you'll never walk by the spirit unless your spirit has been fed. You cannot walk by the spirit unless your spirit has been fed. The Bible tells me that the spirit and the flesh are constantly battling with each other. They both want supremacy. They both want rule. They both want to master you. And the Bible tells in in, in clarity or, or in... Uh, simplicity, the simplicity of it, it, my understanding is that if I feed my flesh, my flesh is going to be stronger than my spirit. But if I feed my spirit, my spirit's going to be stronger than my flesh. So here's the point. If I want to sow into someone's life, if I want to operate in the spirit, if I want to flow in the spirit, if I want to overflow in the spirit into somebody else's life, I better make sure I'm feeding my spirit. Jesus understood he needed to feed his spirit on a daily basis so that he could overflow into the lives of others. How many of you know Jesus' entire life was that of overflow? His entire life he overflowed into the lives of everyone else. He poured himself out every single day like a drink offering. And here's what I need you to understand. If you're not full of the spirit, you will never overflow in the spirit. If you're living your Christian life with the Spirit this, this high in your life, you will never overflow into anyone else's life. 
You'll never overflow. What God wants you to do is to overflow into the lives of your neighbor, overflow in the, in the, in the environment of your neighborhood or your workplace, in your marriage, wherever. He wants you to overflow. But the only way you and I will overflow is if we are full of the Spirit and not full of the flesh. So how do I get full of the Spirit? And I'm not just talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about just being full of the Spirit of God, full of His Word, full of His power, full of His presence. This We have to be full. Jesus understood that, that unless I get alone with the Father, I won't be full of the Spirit. Unless I press away, unless I call on the Father, unless I find that place where He can fill me up, I won't be able to pour out into the lives of anyone else. So here's the reality. If you're not pressing away and getting into the Word, if you're not pressing away to that place of prayer, if you're not pressing away into the presence of God, if you're not pressing away to get to church or get to a Bible study or get to those arenas or those environments where God can pour into you, you cannot and will not ever minister in power. You'll minister in your own flesh and you'll minister in your own weakness. Well, I'm not a minister. I'm not a preacher. How many of you know if you call yourself a Christian, you're a minister? God called every one of us to be salt. He called every one of us to be light. He called every one of us to go into the highways and the byways of this wild and wicked world to shine the light and to spread some salt. And the thing is, listen, if there's no salt in the salt shaker... See what I'm saying? If there's no oil in the lamp, it's not going to burn. You can't be light and you can't be salt unless you're filled up with light, unless you're filled up with salt, so you can overflow into the lives of someone else. But here's the point. If you're not in the Word and you're not in His presence and you're not pressing away, church, you cannot minister in power. You will minister in your own flesh and your own weakness. And I see it happen all the time. I see people trying to minister in the flesh and people trying to minister in, uh, in their weakness, church. Why? Because they're not filled up with the Spirit. Because they're not filled up with the Word of God. Because they've not been pressing away. Because they're broken and God's not healed them. Because they're overwhelmed by the concerns and the cares of this life. I see it all the time. I hear false prophecies. I hear false words. People are laying hands on other people when their own life is broken, church. Listen, that's operating in the flesh. That's not operating in the spirit. And, and recovery and deliverance will never come from an individual that is not filled up with the spirit of God. This is just a lesson that I want us to learn. If you want to overflow into the lives of anyone else. You must be filled up yourself. This is why Jesus wanted to get away. It was to connect with the Father and it was to refuel so that He could overflow into the lives of someone else. Because at the end of verse 13, it tells us that the same crowd followed Him to where He was going. Jesus was trying to press away to go to a, a place of solitude which was on the other side of the lake and he was planning on getting away. And the only solitude he got according to the scripture was that period of time where he went from one side of the lake to the other. He was alone with the Father and he was speaking to the Father and he was being refreshed by the Father because he needed it. 
Because the Bible tells me as soon as he got to the other side of the lake, instead of being able to go to a place of solitude, the crowds were standing right there at the shore, filled with needs, filled with hurts, filled with sickness, filled with disease, church. And Jesus steps off the boat. And what does he do? He begins to minister once again. He begins to pour himself out once again, church, in the midst. Keep in mind that this entire time, all these things that Jesus is doing while he's pouring himself out, his heart is still broken over the the, the death of his cousin. His heart is still grieving because his friend and his forerunner, the one he said there is no one greater before him and there will never be anyone greater after him. Jesus said this of his cousin and friend John the Baptist. His heart was grieving over the passing of the one who cried out in the wilderness and in the midst of his own pain, in the midst of his own heartache, in the midst of his own suffering, what did Jesus do? He overflowed into the lives of someone else. He would have never been able to do it unless he continually connected with the Father. Every moment that he had, he connected to the Father. Why do you think the Bible says pray without ceasing? Because you never know when God needs you to overflow. You never know who's going to be waiting at the shore. You never know who's going to come knocking at your door. You never know who's going to walk by your path. You never know who's going to call you on the phone. You never know what need you're going to have to face as you go through life. And what Jesus is trying to teach us and what the Scripture is teaching us is that if you call yourself a Christian who is a minister of the gospel, regardless of what we are going through, we need to be able to minister to those that are around us. And the only way we can do that is if we go back to verse 13 and learn to press away and pray to get alone with God. Amen? Amen. Jesus, it tells us, that Jesus availed himself to the people, it says. Instead of ignoring them, he had compassion on them and he healed them, verse 14 says. Again, in the midst of his own hurt, he healed someone else. In the midst of his own broken heart, he healed the brokenhearted. This is the power of of what the kingdom does. And this is the kind of Christian God is calling us to be. One that has the power to heal others even when I'm hurting. You understand what I'm saying, church? This is what God has called us to do. Instead of ignoring them, he had compassion on them and he healed them. Because how many of you know, with Jesus, it was always about others. Amen? It was always about pouring himself out like a, like a drink offering. It was always about offering himself to others. It was always about considering others more important than himself. And this is what God wants us to do too. He wants us to be just like Jesus Christ where it's always about others. And the lesson that we should learn from verse 13 and 14 is that the spiritually mature should be able to do the same thing. The spiritually mature are able to minister in the midst of their own suffering church. They're able to consider others more important than themselves even when they might be struggling themselves. They're able to pray for their friends, church, like Job did, even after he lost every earthly possession that he had. You know the scripture at the end of Job, it says, and he got down on his knees and he prayed for his friends. After losing everything that he had, he prayed for his friends, church. 
And, and the Bible tells me that Job was the most righteous man on the earth. Listen, if I want to be spiritually mature, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to be like Christ, if I want to be like those that have gone before me in the, in the Scriptures, I have to learn to be able to pray for others even in the midst of my own lack. Even in the midst of my own condition or sufferings, church, I have to be able to do that. That's the lesson that we should learn, that this spiritually mature, like I talked about last week, they press on even in the pain and they press on even under pressure. Amen? The lesson in verse 14 is this. The mature keep doing the good work even when life isn't good. Amen? How many of you know life isn't always good? Every day is not good. How many here, be honest, how many had a bad day today? Amen. There are days where we have bad days, amen? But the reality is the, the, the mature press on even in the bad days, and they understand that, that, that it is their responsibility or duty or it should be their desire, at least, to continue to keep doing good work even when the day's not good. Amen? Because God's good. It's what Jesus did. He healed the sick, like I said, even when his heart was hurting. He ministered in word and indeed until evening, the Bible says. All day long until dark. When he got off the boat until evening, he was praying. He was preaching. He was touching. He was healing. He was mending, the Bible tells us, even when his heart was heavy. And it was here at the close of this same day. I know I'm jumping around, but I told you I don't have a single theme in here. I'm trying to teach you what Jesus is trying or God is trying to teach us in this entire passage. And there's several lessons we can learn. But it was here at the close of this same day where after getting off the boat and healing the people and teaching them while he was bearing the loss of his own cousin, that Jesus goes even farther and he performs the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Again, considering others more important than himself. Jesus could have said, I'm, I'm tired, I'm whooped. I've done enough. I've laid on enough hands. I've done all that. I, I, I've done enough. But Jesus went even farther. He went the extra mile. Amen? And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go the extra mile. But he, he considers others more important than himself, church, through all of that. And all I can say is this. That's what ministry is all about. Jesus is trying to get away, and he's confronted by a crowd. He's trying to press away, and he's confronted by a crowd. He doesn't get a break. He doesn't get... You see what I'm saying? All of this is going on in his life. But he still continues to press on, and he still continues to do what the Father has called him to do. And all I can say is, welcome to ministry. Because that's what ministry is all about. Whether you're standing behind a pulpit or not, ministry is not about ourselves. It's about pouring ourselves out. Ministry is, is about bearing one another's burdens, church. Ministry is not about you and it's not about me. It's not about my name being up in light. Sometimes ministry is about me being up at night praying for someone else. Ministering to someone else, calling on someone else, thinking about someone else, and, and bringing someone else to the Father. Ministry is not about me, myself, and I. It's not about a big title on a business card, church. Ministry is always about someone else. It's about praying for others and caring for others and doing for others. Listen, if you're here this evening, 
and you want to be in ministry, you better be willing to die to yourself. You better be willing to take up a cross and go where you might not want to go because that's what ministry is all about. Ministry is about going places you might not want to go. Ministry is about doing things you might not want to do. Ministry is all about saying things you might not want to say. Sacrificing things you might not want to sacrifice, church. This is what ministry is all about. It's about giving things you might not want to give. It's about serving someone you might not want to serve. You ever been in that place? God's asked you to serve someone that you don't want to serve. The Bible tells me I'm supposed to serve my enemies. But that's what ministry is all about. This is what Jesus is teaching and demonstrating to his disciples. That ministry, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and you have to take up your cross and you have to follow me and do what I do. Go where I go. Say what I say. Serve how I serve who I serve. You understand what I'm saying? And Jesus, God, the, the word of God is calling us to do the same exact thing. Because ministry is not about you and it's not about me. It's not about our platform and it's not about our agenda. It's about being at God's disposal ready to be used up. And that's what Jesus did. He was always spending himself for someone else. How many of you are glad Jesus spent himself for you? Poured himself out for you. He poured himself out for me, church. That's what ministry is all about. It's what we do. And if you want to be used by God, I know a lot, you know, if I was to say, how many of you want to be used by God? Probably all raise your hand. But if I was to then say, how many of you are willing to be used up by God? I don't know if every hand would go up. There's a big difference. If you want to be used by God, you have to be willing to be used up by God, spent by God. Just like Jesus was used up, just like Jesus was poured out, just like Jesus was spent, church, we have to be willing to do the same thing. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, if you are to, if, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's what that means. Let him follow in my footsteps and, and then you have the right to follow me and do what I do, church. So here's where we, I'm going to begin to wind this down. I'm, I'm not finished. We'll finish it up next week. But I want to jump ahead real quick to verse 22. And we'll come back to that. We'll come back to the early verses later. But after performing this miracle of multiplication or after feeding the 5,000, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And Jesus finally gets his alone time. He finally gets his get away with God time. He finally gets to share the, the burden of his heart with the, the Father. He finally finds this place of prayer. It's finally just him and God. Finally. He gets to connect to the Father and he restores his soul because he knows that there's still work to do. Jesus understood that after doing everything that he's already done so far, that there was still work to do tomorrow. And there might still be work to do tonight. How many of you know there's still work to do? There's still work for God to do in me and there's still work for me to do for God. But there's still work 
to do. But Jesus finally gets his alone time. He finally restores his soul because he understands there's still work to do. There's places to go. There's things to do. And there's people to see for the Father. I'm not talking about earthly things. I'm talking about spiritual things. Because the reality is every day, in a natural sense, there's places to go and things to do and people to see. Amen? And the devil would love for you to get so occupied on those earthly things and those earthly people and those earthly places that you got to run to and talk to and do for. He, he, he wants to get us so wrapped up in those earthly things that have to be done, the cares of life, the Bible calls them, that we don't have time to get away with God, that we don't get that alone time, and that it takes away our time for spiritual doing and spiritual places, and spiritual conversations that have to take place. Here's the reality. We all have earthly responsibilities. If you don't work, you don't eat, the Bible says. So we have earthly responsibilities. We have earthly duties. We have families to raise. We have jobs to go to. We have people that we have to serve on an earthly, natural basis. But we cannot forget the fact that we have spiritual things to do as well. We've got spiritual things to do, we've got spiritual places to go, and we've got spiritual words that God wants us to speak because our work's not done yet. I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how long you've been coming to church, I don't care what your title is or who your grandparents are or what your legacy is, you still have work to do, amen? doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, God still has things for us to do. I'm going to take five more minutes, okay? Amen. Thank you, Willie. I was trying to find a good spot to stop here, but here, I'll I'll, I'll stop in just a couple minutes. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side by themselves while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So Jesus is up on the mountain, and the disciples are on the boat by themselves going across to the other side. And the The last thing I want us to look at, and we'll pick up next week, is that in verse 22, is that Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him alone. And the lesson that we learn from this is that sometimes Jesus says, let us go, and sometimes Jesus says, you go. Sometimes in life's journey, sometimes in our ministry... Sometimes in in our calling, you might say, being salt and being light and being who God's called us to be, sometimes Jesus says, let us go, and sometimes he says, you go. Because if you remember another occasion, I believe it's in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says to the disciples, let us get in the boat and go to the other side, because he had something for them all to do. So there are times where he will say, let us get in the boat together and go to the other side, and there's times that he will say, you go on ahead of me. And I'm going to teach us what that means next week, because there's far too many of us, church, that are, that are waiting in the boat when Jesus has already told you to go. You're sitting there waiting for Jesus to get on board when Jesus already said go. He's got something for you on the other side. He's got a plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. And you're sitting there waiting. Well, I'm just waiting on Jesus. I'm just waiting on God to get on board. 
But the reality is sometimes he says, let us go. And he gets on the boat with you. And you journey across the sea and you encounter storms. You know that whole story. And Jesus is right there with you in the back of the boat. But there's other times where he tells you to go alone. Hoping that you have faith that he's still going to be there with you. Amen? Because he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. He's always there. But this is what I'm going to end with. Because there will be times in your life when you feel like Jesus or God isn't anywhere around. You'll feel like in your hurt. You'll feel like in your pain. You'll feel like in the the circumstances and situations of life, you'll feel like God is a million miles away. Amen? But it's in those times we just continue to press on and trust and have faith. Remember, this is a lesson in faith. That we have faith that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us no matter what it feels like. Amen?